I'm John Carter in Moscow. Now in Kiev, the capital of Ukraine. I'm John Carter in Petra. Reporting from India. In Colombia. I'm John Carter. Today, John Carter talks to a world-famous astrophysicist about scientific reasons to believe in God. It's not just about faith. It's about newly discovered scientific evidence. His name is Dr. Hugh Ross. Hello, friend. This is John Carter. Welcome back to The Carter Report. We have a special guest with us today, Dr. Hugh Ross, the president of Reasons to Believe. Dr. Ross is a first-rate scientist. Uh, he knows all these wonderful things about the universe and why the world is as it is. And what is more, he believes that there is evidence, actual scientific evidence, to believe in God. Uh, Dr. Ross, we're honored, sir, to have you with us today, and thank you for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. We were talking about what is called by scientists the Big Bang. That's just a term that they use for the moment of creation. Did the scientific world always believe in a starting point? for the universe. No, it wasn't until 1925 that the idea that the universe had a beginning uh, really became known within the astronomical community and astronomers fought it for several decades. Mm. But by the late 1960s, the evidence became overwhelming. It really does have a beginning. And what's interesting is that the fight was for theological reasons. They said if there's a theological beginning, reason. Right. <laughs> if there's a beginning, there's got to be a beginner. We don't like that. So let's see if we can get rid of this beginning but they couldn't get rid of the beginning. Before I asked you the question in the previous segment, uh, many Christians hate the word Big Bang. They well, think somehow it, it shows uh, a relationship to evolution. Well, also the term Big Bang was uh, coined by someone who mm. hated the Big Bang. Yeah, uh, sarcasm. Yeah, uh, and a lot of people think, well, Big Bang means it's like an exploding grenade. That's not it at all. The expansion of the universe is the most exquisitely fine-tuned thing we can measure. And so uh, it's a very carefully controlled expansion of the universe from a cosmic beginning. I think another reason why some Christians don't like the term Big Bang is that it means that the universe is 14 billion years old. And they think that might give enough time for evolution. But what's interesting about the history of Big Bang cosmology uh, it was evolutionists that says, we've got to get rid of this Big Bang. It doesn't give us enough time. Yes. Uh, you know, 14 billion yeah. years, that's only 10 zeros after the one. You need yeah. way more zeros than that if you're going to save yeah. a biological evolutionary so, model. The idea of, of the universe coming into being, say, uh, 14 billion years ago, is the death knell of evolution. It is, but it's also something that's fine-tuned for our benefit. If we were put here, we human beings were put here earlier in the history of the universe than 14 billion years after the cosmic creation event, light from that event wouldn't have time to travel on the space surface and reach our telescopes. We wouldn't be able to see that evidence. And if God had put us here any later, dark energy would be speeding that information away from us greater than the velocity of light. We're literally here at the only time where we can see the entire history of the universe. So... Now, we're going to try to get 10 big reasons to believe in God. We've got one so far. <laughs> uh, we've got more evidence than we can push into this period of time. 
Tell me about the fine-tuning of the expansion of the universe. The universe is expanding, isn't it? It is. And if you expand the universe too rapidly from the cosmic creation event, the only elements that will exist in the universe will be hydrogen and helium, or only hydrogen. You won't have the carbon, oxygen, or nitrogen you need for life. If you expand it too slowly from the cosmic creation event, the first stars convert all the mass of the universe into elements heavier than iron. And once again, you're missing the carbon, oxygen, and nitrogen that life needs. How fast is it expanding? Well, um, where we can... It's expanding a little bit less than the velocity of light. So it's expanding very rapidly from the cosmic creation event. And that itself is fine-tuned? It is, and it has to be expanding a little slower in the past than it is today. Uh, so you need to fine-tune the expansion rate at different times throughout cosmic history in order to get the right stars and planets. How, how fine is the tuning for the expansion of the universe? Well, the expansion itself must be fine-tuned to one part in 10 to the 56th power. Now, but the, that means nothing to me. Well, it's uh, 56 it, zeros so, after the one. Say it again? That's 56 zeros after the one. One or, with 56 zeros. Right. But the parameters, mainly dark energy and the cosmic mass density that control the expansion, they're the fine-tuning is one part in 10 to the 122nd power. How many atoms in the universe? Well, let me give you, I think, a better comparison. We can compare the fine-tuning of these two features of the universe that get it to expand at just the right rate so that life can exist, mm. with the very best example of human engineering, uh, inventiveness, design, and creativity, which in my opinion is the gravity wave telescope, the LIGO instrument. If we compare the ultimate example of human fine-tuning design with a fine-tuning design we see in dark energy and dark matter, uh, our design ranks 10 trillion, 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 trillion times inferior. Inferior. Inferior to the level of design we see in dark energy and dark matter, which implies that the one that created our universe of matter, energy, space, and time, at a minimum, is 10 trillion, 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 trillion times more intelligent and more knowledgeable than the Caltech and MIT physicists that had invented this amazing instrument, and at least that many times better funded than the U.S. government that actually enabled it to be constructed. So what we're saying to the audience today, we hope there are lots of young people watching, there is overwhelming evidence to believe in God. Not faith evidence, but evidence from, from science, evidence from astronomy. And not just any God, we're talking the God of the Bible. Yes, the God of the Bible, not a pagan God. And not a, a Hindu a, God a, or a, a Buddhist a, God. Yes, a, a mighty God. So the universe came into being at the right time. Um, space, time, matter came into being. Then the universe started to expand. Mm -hmm. And the fine-tuning there is one in a trillion, trillion, trillion. Whatever, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> How, how can a, a rational person say this just happened by itself? Help me out here. How can a, how can a person be rational and look at this fine-tuning in the universe and say, hey, it just happened by itself? 
Well, when I was in uh, London uh, a few weeks ago, I debated the British uh, chemist uh, Peter Atkins. And, uh, oh, you did? I did. Yes. And uh, at the very end, a question that was put to us by the moderator, what scientific evidence would cause you to change your position? And so I gave several examples. I said, if we were to prove the universe didn't have a beginning, that would be catastrophic to my Christian faith. Yes. If we were to prove that we human beings are really only differ by degree and not by kind with the animals, that would be catastrophic to mm -hmm. my Christian faith. The moderator turned to Peter. What scientific evidences would cause you to abandon your atheism? And uh, he said he couldn't think of any. Mm. Uh, so it's like... That's were, a devastating confession, isn't it? Well, it means the evidence really isn't the factor for him. And what I discovered talking to him is that uh, he's had some bad experiences with the church. Yeah, the baggage. The, the baggage is what's keeping yeah, him, yeah. not the evidence. The nasty people. So, uh, not, not the God of the Bible, but the baggage. Right. Before, you talked to me about dark energy and, and uh, dark, dark matter. matter. Yeah. You helping me out here a little bit? I'm trying. <laughs> um, what is the percentage of dark matter and dark energy? Dark energy adds up to 70.7% yeah. of all the stuff of the universe. And the other stuff? Uh, the uh, dark energy adds up to oh, somewhere between 24%. Um, so it's around 99%? Ordinary matter, the stuff that we're... Yes. Maybe have protons and neutrons, that's about 4.5%. Yes. And so uh, the visible matter that we see is only 0.27%. So that's... Uh, so dark uh, stuff uh, dominates. That's a, a little over a quarter of 1%. Yeah. Uh, see, I'm a mathematician too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Is there anything about the relationship between dark matter and the rest of the universe that suggests a grand designer? Well, you can't have grand design galaxies unless you've got that dark matter at the right amount in the right location with the right distribution. What on earth is it? Does anybody know? Well, we're trying to discover the particles that make up uh, dark matter. And uh, we know that the particles do not interact uh, with photons, which makes them extremely difficult to detect. Uh, but I wrote my book, The Crater in the Cosmos, the fourth edition that came out a yeah, few months ago. Yes, I read it. That um, we're on the verge of being able to discover these particles. I think within the next two, three years, we'll be able to identify these particles. And so there is a, an amazing relationship between the dark matter, dark energy, and the expansion of the universe? Well, the dark matter uh, stabilizes the uh, galaxies. So if you want spiral galaxies uh, where you've got nice symmetrical spiral arms where the arms are just the right distance apart to make life possible, you're going to need a lot of this exotic dark matter. It needs to be in just the right location. Is it true that the dark energy drives the expansion of the universe? Or has, it's, a, it's has the an primary effect upon factor. it? Yeah, it's not the only factor controlling cosmic expansion, but it is the primary factor. And this has got to overcome the force of gravity? Yes. Yeah, gravity works to slow down the cosmic expansion. Dark energy works to speed it up. And there's a, a relationship. How fine-tuned is this cosmic expansion and, and the dark matter and all this stuff? Well, I, I said before, one part in 10 to the 122nd power or a fine-tuning that's 10 to the 97 times greater 
than anything we human beings are able to achieve, which implies that the one that created this stuff has to be much more intelligent, knowledgeable, creative, and powerful and caring than we human beings. Hmm. So it can't so, just be some kind and of... And so God doesn't expect an unbeliever, an agnostic or an atheist, uh, just to take a blind leap of faith. Well, there is evidence. There to, is evidence. To take this leap. And, you know, there's verses in the Bible, 1 Thessalonians 5.21, mm. test everything, yes. hold fast to that which is good. Mm. The Bible's against blind faith. It wants us to Say be... Say that again. The Bible's against blind faith. Yeah, I want you to hear this. The Bible is against blind faith. The Bible wants us to uh, build our faith upon uh, evidence. Well, the Greek and Hebrew words used for faith in the Bible mean acting upon established truth. So I have a lot of colleagues who know what's true, but they don't act upon it. Yeah, sure, you've got to act it's on it. Two components. You've got to act on what you've now established to be true. Now, we're going to try to find some great big reasons why the universe tells us to believe in God. What else? Well, what fascinates me is that the laws of physics not only are designed to make possible the existence of us human beings, they're designed to deliver us from evil and suffering. So you actually see this, uh, how thermodynamics, gravity, and electromagnetism work in such a way that the more evil we humans commit, the more time we waste, the more pain we experience, and the more work we have to do to undo the damage of the sin and evil we commit. And that's because of the way God structured the laws of physics. It guarantees that as we uh, depart from virtue and pursue evil, we will suffer those consequences. Now, and I can't think of any better physical laws to make that happen than what we now, see in the universe. Uh, you're an outstanding um, astronomer, but you've done a, a little bit of dabbling in, in biology, haven't you? Oh, I have. That's where you get a lot more evidence. Yeah, I've read some of your stuff on this. How complex... Now, this is the very opposite of these great galaxies. How complex is, is a cell? far more complicated than anything we astronomers measure in the universe. I mean, if you look inside... Are you kidding? I'm not kidding. A cell. A single cell. Hmm. If you look at it in detail, you'll see that it's more complex than a large city. It's got highways, it's got machines, this it's is got not, This is not poetic language? Not at all. So tell me, tell me, that this, tell me about the cell. Well... It's loaded with these very complicated machines. For example, every machine we humans have ever invented, we can find analogies to those machines inside the cell. Piston engines, uh, you know, rotary engines. Boats. Uh, <laughs> little boats. Well, you actually see little transportation vehicles yeah. that ride yeah. along these microtubules <laughs> to remove waste from the cell and bring in the resources that these different factories and cells need, and it's all organized in a beautiful way. And you can't see it with the naked eye? Well, with an electron microscope, you can see all this stuff going on inside the cell. Yeah, but it's, it, what I'm trying to say, it's tiny. It's very tiny. So you've got all this incredible machinery and all of this stuff packed inside this cell. Yeah, and you really can't make it any smaller than what we see inside the cell. It's at the very limit that the laws of physics will permit. The other thing we notice is the machines that are inside the cell, they're like our machines, only they're more efficient. Now, our friends, the evolutionists, say that the cell basically started by chance. 
They do, which is why my colleague, Fuzz Rana, our yes. biochemist, wrote a book called Creating Life in the Lab. Yes. And he talks about how biochemists, with a lot of technology and funding, are trying to find ways that they can duplicate the manufacture we see inside the cell. And basically all they can do is trade parts that are already there. They're not able to build life from scratch. And even if they could, it would simply prove that the one that created the cell in the first place was a lot better funded with more technology and a lot more power and intellect than they have. So when you turn on PBS or some other uh, station here in the US or the History Channel, and someone says rather confidently, well, we believe that uh, life originated from non-life in the cell, simply came into being. Well, these are people that don't attend origin of life research They're, they're bits of dreamers, aren't they? You know, we attend these meetings, and when we attend the meetings, you discover there's a real spirit of depression and despondency <laughs> there because of the fact they the realize... The origin of life. Right. Yeah. I mean, we attended a conference just this past July in the origin of life, and the highlight was they had five of the world's leading origin of life researchers address the question, do we understand where the building blocks of life molecules come from? All five said no. In fact, all five said we don't even know where the building blocks of the building blocks come from. And we astronomers are actually looking for these building blocks in interstellar molecular clouds, the best place to find them, and we're not finding. And so when a person says uh, confidently that life generated itself, uh, he's really saying a, a super statement of faith. Well, moreover, it's testable. I mean, if you're going to say that these amino acids came together and made proteins, yes, yes. well, where are all these amino well, acids? Well, it seems to me like a, a massive pipe dream. Well, why would you say, I mean, you're saying stuff, not you, but a, a person who says that life uh, invented itself. It's a dream. Well, it's a dream in the sense we can't even find a source for the simplest of the building blocks, the amino acids, the ribose sugars, the nucleobases. Uh, that's missing. And, and a question that should be asked. I mean, how can you build life if you don't have the component parts? Absolutely. And the dreamer should be asked, where did the dream come from? Where did the dream come from? <laughs> Moreover, to put these pieces of molecules together, they all have to have the same configuration. They all have to be left-handed in terms of the proteins now, and right-handed uh, for the nucleus. You don't, you don't have, I like these, you know, one chance in a billion, trillion, billion. You don't, what's the possibility of this happening? Well, even the uh, leading naturalistic origin of life researchers admit that the possibility is extremely remote. I mean, and the idea, for example, they've been trying to find a way, okay, we need to put these molecules together. They all have to have the same handedness. Hmm. They've done experiments in the lab where they try to get them all the same handedness. In order to do that, what you do is you destroy the right-handed ones more rapidly than the left-handed ones. But long before you get to 100% left-handed, you've got no sample left. You destroy everything. And so there is no naturalistic solution how you can get all the molecules oriented in the right direction that you can put them together, let alone be able to put them together. I got a feeling we're not going to get to 10. Well, I bet that's okay. Uh, we've gotten to three or four. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, very quickly, I can summarize this for you. There's the origin of humanity. Yes. Uh, the exceptionalism of humans, the fact that we're distinct from all the yes, life Yes, we're forms. not animals. 
We're not animals. And we're not machines. But if you look at the soulish animals, the birds and mammals, yes. they're also distinct from all of their life, and they're mm -hmm. distinct in the sense that they're designed to form relationships with human beings, which tells us that likewise we are designed to form relationships with a higher being. It was Job that said, look to these animals, they'll teach you spiritual lessons. So we believe in a personal creator God who made us in his own image and who loves us. Now, uh, tell me a little bit about our place in the universe and why our very place in the universe is quite uh, extraordinary. Well, you heard me talk about how we're at the only time where we can measure everything in the universe. We're also at the only light conceivable location where we can measure everything, which tells me that there must be a being who wants us to have the capacity to read the book of nature. So I'm going to say this back to you so that uh, I get it. We're at the only place in the universe, which is vast, isn't it? It is. Uh, how many billion galaxies? We're talking 200 billion galaxies, 50 billion trillion stars, and we happen to be orbiting the one star where we can actually see the whole, whole story of creation. Yeah. Did you get that? Just think about that. We're at the only place in the universe where we can look back into time. Well, if people want to actually see the evidence for that, reasons.org slash Ross, we're mm -hmm. giving away a free chapter of why the universe is the way it is. Now let's they... put that up on the screen. Yeah. 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 Well, in fact, they can get lots of free chapters of our books just by doing that, which kind of gets you into the top ten. Because we've written a book in every one of the top ten. Mm. All I can say is it's astounding. It is indeed. It's just... I think God wants to blow our mind with all the wonder that he's done on our behalf. The whole universe exists. And, and people don't know this, do they? A lot of people, a lot don't, of people know don't know this. A lot of these young people who've left the church, they've never, never heard this stuff. They've gone to, uh, gone to college or university, and they've been told that neo-Darwinism is an established fact. That's what they're taught, aren't they? Well, it is a fact that life has been here a long time and is now more complex than it used to be. That's a simple definition of biological evolution, mm. but I think it, what they're being taught is it all happened by natural process. Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, and the top researchers admit that they can't prove that. No. Long way from being able uh, to do that. The Bible teaches that man was made uh, in the image of God. Right. And he was a new and distinct uh, creation. We're not just an animal. No, we're not animals. I used to tell the Russians this, huge audiences, and they loved to hear this because they'd been taught Marxism. There's no God. You're not an animal and you're not a machine. And this is just a little aside. When people think that if you escape from God and from the Bible, it's going to be so good, look at the Russian experiment right. of atheism. <clears throat> The tens of millions who were put to death, people don't like to talk about that. Right. But the tens of millions who were put to death were people who'd given up on God and the Bible. That in itself is a reason to believe in God and the Bible. Okay, we're, we're not going too bad, Dr. Ross, you and I. Um, what's another big reason in the universe that points to a creator? Let me give you one that's on planet Earth. Mm -hmm. We had to be living on our planet during an ice age cycle, where mm -hmm. ice on the planet goes from 10% coverage to about 23% coverage. 
I wrote a book on probable planets saying that's yeah, the I only kind of planet. I wrote a little thing for it. You did? Yeah. Right. Grateful for that. Yeah, grateful. But you know, it's the only way you can have billions of people on one planet. And it's the only way those billions can have the technology where they can actually hear all this evidence, respond to this evidence, and develop a relationship with the one that did it all in the first place. I want people to hear this from your lips. What would you say to a young person who's watching this program, um, who's going to a place where the Bible is derided, what would you say to that young person who feels like giving up his faith? There's evidence out there, and uh, I know you want to ask questions. We're here to answer your questions. I actually answer all the questions I get in Facebook and Twitter. They can contact reasons.org. Yeah. Uh, there are books. We're giving away free chapters of our books at reasons.org slash Ross. We want to start a relationship with you. Mm. And, uh, you know, I was not raised in a Christian home. And with science that brought me to faith in Christ. Fazrana was raised in an Islamic home, but it was his study of the origin of life that brought him to faith in Christ. The scientific evidence is out there. And, uh, you know, you owe it to yourself to check out the evidence. Um, Dr. Ross, you're one in a million or a billion. We like these big figures, you know. God has used you, we admire you and we respect you. And we thank you today for coming and sharing scientific reasons why a thinking person can believe in God. We thank you for coming today and we thank you for joining us today. Please write to me. And uh, my name is John Carter, The Carter Report. And you can see our details up there on the screen. Also contact Dr. Ross at Reasons to Believe. And believe this, you know what Jesus said, believe this. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And so until next time, thank you for joining us and may God richly bless you and thank you. You're welcome. There's only one thing that really counts in this lifetime, your relationship to Christ. And then if you have a right relationship with Christ, you'll want to tell people about Christ. That's why Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. By the grace of God, we're going to do that. We are doing that. That is why we're going back to Cuba, to this communist land, to preach Christ. We're accepting an invitation to go to the, the vast, huge city of Manila, the capital of the Philippines, been there before, but by the grace of God, we're going back. Please support us. And please stand with us in the preaching of the everlasting gospel. You say, how do you do it? Who, who pays the bills? We do. Do you get any help, financial help from the church? No, my friend, we don't. But we get a lot of help from God and from his children. Please support us in the preaching of the everlasting gospel. It's the most important work in all the world. Everything else is almost trivia. So would you please write to me? John Carter, Post Office Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Do your best for Jesus. 
do your best for the gospel. And in Australia, write to me at Terrigal. And we promise you this, every dime, every dollar is going to be used to win souls to our Lord Jesus Christ. Please write to me today. Thank you and God bless you. For a copy of today's program, please contact us at P.O. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Or in Australia, contact us at P.O. Box 861, Terrigal, New South Wales, 2260. This program is made possible through the generous support of viewers like you. We thank you for your continued support. May God richly bless you.